Section 13 of Twain and Howells on Each Other. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Mark Twain, Literary Friends and Acquaintances by William Dean Howells. Chapter 12. Whether I will or no, I must let things come into my story thoughtwise, as he would have let them, for I cannot remember them in their order. One night, while we were giving a party, he suddenly stormed in with a friend of his and mine, Mr. Twitchell, and immediately began to eat and drink of our supper, for they had come straight to our house from walking to Boston, or so great a part of the way as to be a-hungered and a-thirst. I can see him now as he stood up in the midst of our friends, with his head thrown back, and in his hand a dish of those escalloped oysters without which no party in Cambridge was really a party, exulting in the tale of his adventure, which had abounded in the most original characters and amusing incidents at every mile of their progress. They had broken their journey with a night's rest, and they had helped themselves lavishly out by rail in the last half, but still it had been a mighty walk to do in two days. Clemens was a great walker in those years, and was always telling of his tramps with Mr. Twitchell to Talcott's Tower, ten miles out of Hartford. As he walked, of course, he talked, and of course he smoked. Whenever he had been a few days with us, the whole house had to be aired, for he smoked all over it from breakfast to bedtime. He always went to bed with a cigar in his mouth, and sometimes, mindful of my fire insurance, I went up and took it away, still burning, after he had fallen asleep. I do not know how much a man may smoke and live, but apparently he smoked as much as a man could, for he smoked incessantly. He did not care much to meet people, as I fancied, and we were greedy of him for ourselves. He was precious to us, and I would not have exposed him to the critical edge of that Cambridge acquaintance which might not have appreciated him at, say, his transatlantic value. In America his popularity was as instant as it was vast, but it must be acknowledged that for a much longer time here than in England polite learning hesitated his praise. In England rank, fashion, and culture rejoiced in him. Lord Mayors, Lord Chief Justices, and magnates of many kinds were his hosts. He was desired in country houses, and his bold genius captivated the favor of periodicals which spurned the rest of our nation. But in his own country it was different. In proportion, as people thought themselves refined, they questioned that quality which all recognize in him now, but which was then the inspired knowledge of the simple-hearted multitude. I went with him to see Longfellow, but I do not think Longfellow made much of him and Lowell made less. He stopped as if with the long Semitic curve of Clemens' nose, which in the indulgence of his passion for finding everyone more or less a Jew, he pronounced unmistakably racial. It was two of my most fastidious Cambridge friends who accepted him with the English, the European entirety, namely Charles Eliot Norton and Professor Francis J. Child. Norton was then newly back from a long sojourn abroad, and his judgments were delocalized. He met Clemens as if they had both been in England, and rejoiced in his bold freedom from environment, 
and in the rich variety and boundless reach of his talk child was of a personal liberty as great in its fastidious way as that of clemens himself and though he knew him only at second hand he exulted in the most audacious instance of his grotesquerie as i shall have to tell by and by almost solely i cannot say just why clemens seemed not to hit the favor of our community of scribes and scholars as bret harte had done when he came on from california and swept them before him disrupting their dinners and delaying their lunches with impunity but it is certain he did not and i had better say so i am surprised to find from the bibliographical authorities that it was so late as eighteen seventy five when he came with the manuscript of tom sawyer and asked me to read it as a friend and critic and not as an editor i have an impression that this was at mrs clemens instance in his own uncertainty about printing it she trusted me i can say with a satisfaction few things now give me to be her husband's true and cordial adviser and i was so i believe i never failed him in this part though in so many of our enterprises and projects i was false as water through my temperamental love of backing out of any undertaking i believe this never ceased to astonish him and it has always astonished me it appears to me quite out of character though it is certain that an undertaking when i have entered upon it holds me rather than i it but however this immaterial matter may be i am glad to remember that i thoroughly liked tom sawyer and said so with every possible amplification very likely i also made my suggestions for its improvement i could not have been a real critic without that and i have no doubt they were gratefully accepted and i hope never acted upon i went with him to the horse-car station in harvard square as my frequent wont was and put him aboard a car with his manuscript in hand stayed and reassured so far as i counted concerning it i do not know what his misgivings were perhaps they were his wife's misgivings for she wished him to be known not only for the wild and boundless humor that was in him but for the beauty and tenderness and natural piety and she would not have had him judged by a too close fidelity to the rude conditions of tom sawyer's life this is the meaning that i read into the fact of his coming to me with those doubts End of chapter twelve